We are going to start off our show today with the environment. On Wednesday, January 20th, um, U.S. President Joe Biden formally announced that he was revoking a key permit for the Keystone XL pipeline. The pipeline route runs from Alberta, Canada, to refineries in Illinois and Texas, as well as an oil pipeline distribution center in Oklahoma. For many in the environmental and indigenous movements, this is a huge victory that is the result of years of struggle and organizing led by indigenous peoples. Many were concerned about the Keystone XL pipeline's potential for air pollution, for leaks and spills that could pollute critical water supplies and cause harm to wildlife. Another major concern was the way in which the original route crossed the Sand Hills, a large wetland ecosystem in Nebraska, and the Oglala Aquifer, one of the largest reserves of fresh water in the world. Furthermore, the Keystone XL pipeline violated the sovereignty of indigenous nations along its route, whose demands and concerns were ignored for quite some time. The pipeline traversing Canada and the United States was first commissioned in 2010. For years, environmental and indigenous movements led resistance to the pipeline, often putting their own bodies on the line to protect the earth. On November of 2011, several thousand people formed a human chain around the White House to press then-President Obama to block the Keystone XL project. In August of 2012, the Tar Sands blockade launched an indefinite tree sit in East Texas. In February 2013, between 35,000 to 50,000 protesters organized a mass demonstration in Washington, D.C., calling on former President Barack Obama to reject the planned pipeline extension. And in January of 2015, the Nebraska Supreme Court cleared the way for construction of Keystone XL after Republican Governor uh, had approved of it in 2013. In a temporary victory for the uh, indigenous-led uh, movements for the environment, the Obama administration rejected the project of Keystone XL in November of 2015. In April, though, of t in 2016, uh, youth from Standing Rock and surrounding Native American communities organized a campaign to stop the pipeline calling themselves Respect Our Water. Inspired uh, by the youth, many other indigenous and environmental leaders established a water protectors camp as a center for direct action, spiritual resistance to the pipeline, cultural preservation and defense of indigenous uh, sovereignty. The hashtag no dapple hashtag began to trend on social media and gradually the camps at Standing Rock grew to thousands of people. By October and November of 2016, police with riot gear and military equipment attacked the encampment and used water cannons on protesters in freezing weather. Although the encampment was eventually cleared, it was a major moment for not only the movement against Keystone XL Pipeline, but for the environmental movement, not only in the United States, but worldwide, and for indigenous movements generally. 
However, in January 2016, during his first week in office, Donald Trump signed a presidential memorandum to revive both the Keystone, both Keystone XL pipelines, which would transport more than 800,000 barrels of heavy crude oil per day from Alberta to the Gulf Coast. By July 6, 2020, after several years of legal and financial power struggles, the U.S. Supreme Court ordered all Keystone XL work to be halted. In response, TC Energy stated that the United States uh, part of the project would be reassessed, but not abandoned, with the Canadian part of it proceeding as before. But now, President Biden has overturned Trump's reversal of Obama's 2015 rejection of the pipeline, which is the result of over a decade of resistance uh, from impacted indigenous communities and other earth defenders. And on Wednesday, January 27th, um, President Biden signed a series of executive orders intended to address climate change, including a new ban on some energy drilling. Numerous environmental and indigenous activists praised um, Biden's move to stop construction of the Keystone XL pipeline. However, many are stressing that he must cancel similar polluting fossil fuel projects, including the Dakota Access Pipeline, to stand any chance of meeting his climate action goals. Uh, before we welcome our guests, let's go to a couple of clips, uh, short clips now. One on the indigenous resistance against the Dakota Access Pipeline. That's a clip from the New York Times. And also just one uh, from CBS outlining um, what Biden has is focused on in fighting against climate change. It's an amazing energy in, in, in the camp right now. You have a lot of people that are there with, with a solid expression of love and solidarity with uh, the Standing Rock Sioux Nation. The gathering here remains 100% peaceful and ceremonial as it has from day one. And we stand together in prayer. There's no firearms, no weapons allowed, no drugs, alcohol are allowed. It's a powerful moment, not only for, uh, you know, the greater climate justice movement, but it is also a powerful moment for the Ochete Shakoin, also known as the Dakota, Lakota, and Dakota Nations. Um, we haven't seen a, a large mobilization in unity of this scale for over 140 years. President Biden has launched a new government effort to fight global warming, signing a series of executive orders. One of them blocks any new leases for oil and gas drilling on public lands. His critics say that's bad for business and jobs. Ed O'Keefe is at the White House. Ed, good morning. Good morning, Michelle. Great to see you. Remember when he took office, President Biden said the country is fighting multiple crises, the pandemic, a sagging economy, racial and political divisions, and climate change. As he tries to fight that issue, there are some critics concerned that the changes he's trying to make could further upset the economy. In my view, we've already waited too long to deal with this climate crisis. We can't wait any longer. President Biden is planning to make the fight against climate change a core part of U.S. foreign policy for the first time. He's also establishing a White House Office of Domestic Climate Policy and ordering the government to begin buying zero emissions vehicles. This will mean one million new jobs in the American automobile industry. The Biden approach is a big change from former President Trump, who pulled the United States out of the global Paris climate accord and rolled back more than 100 environmental regulations, arguing they slowed economic growth. 
I was elected to represent the citizens of Pittsburgh, not Paris. With an economy already hit hard by COVID-19, the president said his plan will create jobs. When I think of climate change, I think of and the answers to it, I think of jobs. Mr. Biden is also freezing permits to drill for oil in offshore waters and barring any new oil and gas leases on federal lands. Critics like Todd Staples of the Texas Oil and Gas Association say that decision will lead to big job losses. Not producing it here means it makes us dependent on other countries for this energy source because there's a great deal of infrastructure that is necessary for renewable energies. But newly appointed U.S. climate envoy John Kerry says the changes will lead to economic benefits. There are countless economic analyses now that show that it is now cheaper to deal with the crisis of climate than it is to ignore it. Important to note again that this executive order only applies to new drilling on federal lands. Also today here at the White House, the president turning his attention to health care policy, signing an executive order that will reopen the healthcare.gov website beginning in mid-February for about three months. It's designed to allow those that have lost their jobs in health care during the pandemic to sign up for a government-backed plan. Tony? All right, Ed, thank you very much. All righty, there you go. Um, now to discuss all of this, I would like to welcome our guest, uh, Tom Goldtooth, Executive Director of the Indigenous Environmental Network. Uh, Mr. Goldtooth has been awarded with recognition of his achievements throughout the past 40 years as an activist for social change and indigenous-based just transition within the indigenous and environmental and climate justice movements. From the strength of his community organization organizing and leadership, he has brought the local issues of environmental, economic, energy, climate, water, and food justice and rights of indigenous peoples to the national and international levels. Mr. Tom Goldtooth is a recipient of numerous awards, including the 2015 Gandhi Award, and in 2016, he was presented Sierra Club's highest recognition, the John Muir Award. Uh, Tom Goldtooth is also a Sundance leader and a great-grandfather. Tom Goldtooth, welcome back. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Tom Goldtooth, let us just start with your reaction to President Biden's announcement, specifically on the Keystone XL pipeline, um, your reaction to it, but in relation to the pipelines, what else you think needs to happen? Yeah, well, thank you for the invite again. and. Um, starting out with uh, a reflection on uh, his position on pulling back on the K K uh, KXL pipeline is really this, this celebration from the people that uh, we, we are working with along the front line of that pipeline. Uh, for an example, in South Dakota, a couple of the grassroots groups that's part of our network, man, man they, they, they said, hey, this is what we really need, and uh, but again, you know, there's still we got to we got to be always on alert. You know, uh, those are things that uh, we as a network and our constituency, uh, because overall there's still lack of trust in the colonial governments. But there's a lot of you know there's a lot of positiveness in the Biden administration. We have a lot of friends who are native that have actually been selected to be part of his team, um, you know, ranging from 
the, the American Indian Energy Department on renewable energy. We have a friend and colleague in that position now. And but yesterday we did we did release a statement, and you know we did say we're excited to see this pause on drilling and fracking on public lands. But but still, there's no grounds for full celebration until such uh, extraction is banned completely. Uh, so, you know, we we will be doing everything we can with our front lines to to work with the Biden administration. Uh, there is some light at the end of the tunnel, uh, and uh, we are, you know, uh, somewhat optimistic about the chance to make some, you know, make some changes. Uh, I, I liked uh, one of his comments uh, of creating a commission focused on environmental justice and green jobs. My immediate thinking was we already have that commission. That's our frontline communities. That's our tribes that have been working, you know, every, doing everything they can, you know, to shut down the expansion of fossil fuels. Um, but, uh, you know, I think I'm going to stop right there. You may have some other questions. Uh, yes, I, I do. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes, uh, uh, Tom Goldtooth, I mean, you know, as a movement for change, we don't often pause to celebrate victories because we're so focused on the word ahead. But I really do have to uh, congratulate not only your work, the work of the Indigenous Environmental Network and those of your affiliate affiliates who have for so many years uh, worked to bring this uh, issue to attention. And although I, I wanted to ask also, because the Dakota Access uh, Pipeline, which was such a focus of the uh, Standing Rock protests, there's still work to be done there. But I wanted uh, to get your reaction, because I think, this is my view, you can see if you, you agree with that, that it really is this massive movement led by indigenous uh, people that really made the way, not only for what Obama did when he paused the pipeline, but um, what Biden is doing now with his focus on the environment, even though we know it's not enough. Because sometimes when you know, you're know you on the street and you're doing the day-to-day, -day not so glamorous work of uh, movement building, uh, we can lose sight of, you know, the, the end result and the impact that we have had. And I think the, the work that you have done has not only had a national impact, but also a global impact. Uh, Tom Goldduth, your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, you know, we're doing everything we can to tell Biden and his team, you know, don't just stop at, uh, you know, KXL pipeline. You know, we still have uh, the Enbridge Line 3 here in our backyard here in Minnesota, uh, and we still have DAPL. You know, we are asking him and his team to take action on that as well. Uh, here in our backyard, you know, there's many, many Native groups and the support of our non-Native allies. I mean, they're on the line there. Uh, and uh, we need to have global attention of the atrocities of how, again, these uh, fossil fuel uh, industries and uh, energy industries, utility industries, are all part of the problem. I mean, there is some signs with Biden 
administration that we can start to address these really serious issues. Here in our backyard, we got a lot of other Native groups also really holding the line. Honor the Earth, GNU Collective, we got the RISE uh, Coalition here as well, grassroots-based, and, uh, you know, we're doing everything we can, everyone here, to hold the line. And so, you know, this is a really critical issue when, we come to, when it comes to climate policy. We're in an, we have to demand this is an emergency for this country. You know, I, I believe previous uh, times I've been on is that our traditional leaders, our spiritual leaders are saying, hey, you know, the trees are dying from the top down. You know, we're, we're having water depletion, groundwater and surface water. You know, we don't want in the future to have more situations of conflict and battles between uh, the sovereignty of our native nations around water uh, issues. But, uh, you know, the signs are there. Fifty years from now, in Red River Valley here in our backyard in North Dakota, uh, Minnesota, and Canada, Manitoba, there's going to be a scarcity of water. You know, we don't want to see water wars in the future. Uh, and, and that's why, you know, we have a hard line. We have a hard line, you know. So we're standing principled with the Biden administration. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. There's a lot of education still needed with, uh, with the listeners uh, around, you know, this issue of demanding justice on these stolen lands in the U.S. and Canada that uh, climate change mitigation cannot be achieved through market-based solutions like cap-and-trade. California has a cap-and-trade and carbon offset uh, initiative, uh, carbon tax, and unproven technologies, carbon capture and storage. These are not proven technologies. They just stall, they just stall the process of cutting emissions at source. That's the bottom line. We have to cut emissions at source, keep fossil fuels in the ground. You know, we, we, have, we have the knowledge to do that. Yeah, and um, I'm wondering, have the, the Harris, uh, Biden-Harris team uh, met with you and other uh, indigenous uh, movement leaders on some of these issues, Tom Goldtooth, as of yet? Uh, yes, yes. Um, I, I must say, yes, there's been a lot of uh, communication, openness to uh, reach out to Indian country. I'll use that term. Um, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done when we talk about how the federal uh, agencies and this colonial government, United States, on, on what their responsibilities uh, is to have meaningful consultation uh, with tribes as governments, but also not forget the tribal members, the grassroots, the spiritual leaders, the traditional practitioners that need to be part of that outreach and consultation. What we are demanding of the Biden administration uh, is to strengthen that consultation by embracing the principles and standards of free, prior, and informed consent. So that's something that you will find on the creation of this other campaign that we're part of 
and that is uh, Build Back Fossil Free campaign, and it's on a website. We have a website on that to where uh, we people can see those different uh, uh, initiatives that we're, we're demanding, uh, and it includes uh, this language of, uh, of uh, improving that nation-to-nation relationship between this government and our indigenous nations and peoples. Right. And, you know, even as we speak, you likely may have heard that in India, with such a a massive uh, population, the farmers there have been leading a protest against the policies of uh, Modi, which is, he's a friend of Trump, very similar uh, policies, and they're opposing the privatization of uh, farms there and really defending uh, family farms and bringing out how many uh, of their farmers have committed suicide over the decades because of the cost of uh, genetically engineered seeds, et cetera. And there've been solidarity protests with the farmers um, here in the U.S., but also in places around the world. And I can't help but make the connection with the impact of a movement because there, there is an inter relationship clearly with uh, the work of the indigenous environmental uh, network and those people who are farmers who are working on the land and trying to defend uh, the land. So just wanting to highlight the importance of movements from the bottom up um, having an impact in work getting done. But you might want to comment on that. But also before you, you go, I also just wanted to a reaction from you or given Deb Haaland now uh, being part, Interior Secretary, part of the uh, Biden administration, an, an, an indigenous woman, and what your hopes are, do you, do you think that that will uh, make a way uh, where prior a way had not been made? Uh, Tom Goldtooth. Well, we, we've been mobilizing for a number of years now around, you know, this specific issue of uh, climate change. It's so, there's so many cross-cutting issues with, with, this, with this crisis that we're in, with the changing climate, with global warming. Um, and we're, I think the listeners can all look in their own backyards, whoever you are, you're seeing the effects of of weather patterns that are different, things like that, eh? So one of the strategies we had is really looking at the analysis of how can we be effective as American Indians and Alaska Natives and our brothers and sisters in Canada, the First Nations. And we saw the strength of mobilizing from the grassroots. I mean, that's the foundation of how IEN was formed from youth, women's societies, elders all on the front line, community-based confronting toxic contamination, environmental racism on how colonial environmental laws and standards don't take our communities into consideration. So we we have that understanding. We have that uh, analysis. And how do we work and strengthen our relationship as tribal members within our own respective tribal nations uh, around developing environmental protection mechanisms, our own indigenous laws. Uh, those are things that we're very familiar with. So with that understanding, we needed to build a power base 
we just don't have that political power. I like to believe we do as indigenous peoples. We have a moral platform. Yes, people embrace that. But how do we build political power? So that's how we've been forming these broad alliances and coalitions like the Climate Justice Alliance, building strength with other communities on the front line of struggle, people of color, black communities, and building that base. And it was the formation of an alliance of alliances. It takes roots. So this is some of the things that we've done, and uh, we we are now a national table, the Green New Deal National Network, uh, and uh, with a lot of different green groups, but social justice groups. So this is where we've been strategic on building the mechanisms to have a voice, um, and um, you know, been part of dialogue with. Uh, uh, Biden's transition team. Uh, so I, you know, that's very much needed, and we, we will continue to do that to work the heal, you could say. But it's also at the local and state level. So we're, we're we're building the capacity to be able to do that and have our communities hang in in this type of strategy. It's difficult because when you engage in the heal of Washington D.C that I've often said, you know, we got to find a way that, that, that builds the power of our front lines and the, 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 the culture on the Hill with policy and legislation. It, it pivots all the time. There's compromise. There's negotiations. So those are things that we are engaged in. We ask uh, people to have the patience as we build that mechanism to be engaged and really make some really critical changes that we need. Uh, we, we have that line with our, our sister, our auntie, uh, um, Deb, you know, Deb Holland, uh, and, uh, you know, and she's, she's, she's been meeting with our, a lot of our constituency. She understands this, this topic and how critical uh, uh, her work is going to be to really lift up uh, the rights of indigenous peoples, uh, to address climate and how natural resources are, are looked at and so-called managed. So we have a full agenda for the next four years. And uh, um, let's stay tuned and to each other and work together. Uh, this is a, a time when we really need to build strong uh, coalitions and alliances. Right, absolutely. Well, um, true words and building power from the bottom up. Thank you, Tom Goldtooth, for your leadership, for the work of the Indigenous Environmental Network. We do link with your website on Sojourner Truth so people can go there, um, go to the Indigenous Environmental Network website to get more information on the Build Back Fossil Free and other movements. Uh, Tom Goldtooth, we hope to have you back when you can. And thank you so very much for taking the time to join us. Thank you. Thank you. And we also want to thank the Global Justice Ecology Project. We've partnered with them for our weekly Earth Watch.